Welcome, everybody, to a quality podcast, season one, episode 10. This will be the last episode of season one, and we have Paul Dunlop with us from beautiful Queensland, Australia, to talk about his work in the continuous improvement space. Paul, welcome to a quality podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jake. Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, great to be here. And I wish I was in Queensland. I'm in Victoria. It's freezing cold here. <laughs> We're anticipating snow last night. That's how cold it is. So, um, yeah, I'm in the south, not the north. Oh, yeah, it's winter for you guys, isn't it? Yes. Now, um, is it true? I'm not that familiar with my geography. So Australia is a small island off the coast of New Zealand. Something like that, yes. <laughs> you, you've been talking to some New Zealanders, I think. <laughs> yes, that's well, us. Well, we're very glad you could. You're in the continuous improvement space. I really enjoy what you post on LinkedIn and your online presence. Um, tell us a little bit about your business and maybe what you're up to recently. Yeah, so my business, I'm a loosely termed uh, management consultant. Um, I focus on lean. So I've been running my own business for four and a half years now. Um, I work mainly in the small to medium manufacturing sector, um, but also outside of manufacturing and also uh, deal with larger corporate businesses. Um, I have a, I guess my background is from the shop floor. So I've been in manufacturing my whole life. I, I fell into a shop floor role and, um, had some exposure to lean early on. And then I guess self-taught developed a, a, a passion for lean and continuous improvement and carried that all through my, my functional roles. Um, and yeah, had the opportunity a few years back to get into consulting and industry training and yeah, have sort of gone from there so that's that's who I am and, and what I do these days um, dealing with the the current challenging environment that we we all have um, it's probably been a, a a good thing in in many respects there's silver linings in in dark clouds as always so it's allowed me to perhaps change and structure my business over the last year and um, yeah here and now going well have a, a full full books and um, yeah keeping really busy Good, good deal. Well, whenever I follow your content on LinkedIn, I think that what jumped out to me right away was it was clear to me that you actually knew how to implement lean uh, and improve businesses and got real results. Um, having, you know, kind of done that quite a bit myself and being in the same space, um, not to call anybody out, but there seems to be two groups on LinkedIn. There's the group of people that actually do stuff and make change in real life. And then there's the people that have very strong opinions, um, but don't actually get stuff done. Is that uh, maybe? Uh, right there? <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, you could be right there. I think that just speaks to general life, doesn't it? There's, there's two types of people, um, those who talk about it and those who do it. Um, oh, look, at, I think, um, you know, like any community, there's a, there's a spectrum, there's a, there's a range and, um, you know, that's, that's all good. I enjoy a lot of the, 
I guess, the breadth of the conversation and um, opinions. Um, you know, you can take that for, <laughs> for, for what it is. But, yeah, look, uh, I try to keep things very practical and, and very simple. Um, I think that's really what lean should be. Um, I think often, I guess, if we're, we're talking about people who sort of um, like to get very philosophical about it all, um, perhaps, I guess, loses the accessibility. And I think um, for me, my, you know, the, the way I look at my role is that I'm there to champion the, the person on the front lines and really help them and support them and however I, I need to do that. And it's, again, I mean that respectfully when we, we simplify things because I think there's a, a Bruce Lee quote out there that talks about um, simplicity being the ultimate sophistication. And I think often, um, you know, again, human beings, we we often want the, the complex and fancy solution where that's not often necessary. And I guess my experience over time, because I've certainly... I've certainly been someone who perhaps read read too much and decided to to think that I needed to overcomplicate things in order to be doing lean. And um, as I've gone on, you know, twenty something years down the track, it's it's really about distilling that back down, making it very simple, making it accessible um, again for the people who need it the most. So I think often, you know, to the to the layperson looking at you know getting into lean or understanding continuous improvement. It, can be very difficult because yeah you, you hop on linkedin and look at what's going on there and you know where, where do i start and how do i start and do i you know is it six sigma is it value stream mapping is it you know what what do i do um and how do i do it and i think that stops a lot of people which is which is unfortunate i'll tell you one of the things i love the most is all the stuff you put out there is on the shop floor and that's something in all of the, uh, probably half of my connections are in the space in some form or another. And there's nobody that has the consistent, like bold content that you put out on the shop floor, doing something actual, realistic and iterating from, you know, just what today looks like into tomorrow. And so that's why I have a soft spot for you. Yeah. And again, that comes from my background because I've, I've been that person on the shop floor. I know what it's like to work with crappy systems and processes to deal with, with poor quality leadership, all of those frustrations day to day. And again, my, my why <laughs> is to help those, genuinely help those people. And if I'm able to help those people and unlock not only their, their potential, but the potential of the business, then everything else just takes care of itself. Um, you know, we, we can speak about that, but, you know, of course we need objectives and targets and, and we're after numbers, but it's, again, the, the, the process of improving the process is, is what's important. So, you know, again, go back to, 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 to the purity, you know, Genchi Genbutsu, go, go to Gemba, you know, see the reality of the situation and then start from there. And, and again, the other part of that is, is starting from need. So, you know, we, we, I don't like to reference Toyota, but you, you can't get away from it. But again, the, the purity of that methodology, if you really just stick to those simple concepts, then, then you'll get success through um, practicing this. Yeah, I love that. It's a philosophical approach is where it comes from. It's not a set of tools. It's not here's a specific answer to roll out everywhere you go. It's here's a theoretical approach and how you take and apply that is what constantly makes you successful. Yeah, well said. Yeah, absolutely. And, and lean, lean to me is all about hearts and minds. It is, 
uh, a people-based approach first and foremost. And again, I think we forget that. Um, that's that's the hardest part too, because you know we can we can study the technical aspect and we can understand that. You know, most most lean people will will know this stuff. Your ability to then translate and again engage people in that process and create more lean learners or lean thinkers is, is the difference. So I think that's, that's, that's the real challenge. Yeah, that's fantastic. And wow, there's so much to unpack there. So um, I think we just kind of defined excellent lean in a couple of paragraphs. <laughs> uh, we could really expand this to a whole book, but uh, focusing in on a couple of things, um, Jake's comment, <laughs> 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 Jake, right? Uh, Zoom is not a lean book. It's how to be a supervisor book. And one of the things that you mentioned was meeting people where they're at and, and getting results. And I had an interesting experience in my career. Like you, I started out on the shop floor. In fact, really after college, I started out loading trailers for Walmart at a distribution center and was surprised by the level of technology. So this was the early 2000s and they had some technology that is only just becoming commonplace uh, back then. Things like a visual representation of the yard where the leader could drag and drop trailers into doors and that would send a signal to the yard driver to move the truck into that door. Um, Again, that's a visual management tool that they had to have custom built for them because you couldn't get that off the shelf at the time. And it was really uh, intriguing to me how they managed to move almost a billion and a half dollars worth of goods through their building in a year. So that's where I started out and, you know, kind of got promoted pretty quickly. I mean, within six months, um, and the first supervisor role that I got, uh, I wasn't very good at, and I was missing some specific skills. When I was promoted further and had to hire supervisors, I found they had the exact same gaps that I had. I thought, well, I feel better about myself, but also there's got to be a book to address this. Um, and I couldn't find one. And that's why I wrote Zoom, How to Win Right Now as an Operations Supervisor. And I picked the title because it's designed to help you win right now. This is not a book of theory. There's just a sentence of theory. And then here's how you do it. Do these things right now and you'll, you'll get closer. And so I've had some, some success with that. And it speaks to the kind of necessity when you're in any business improvement role, you have to meet people where they're at and then move them towards a common goal. If the person in the Toyota Camry will always beat the Ferrari to the grocery store if they know how to drive and the other guy doesn't, right? Yeah, it's spot on. And the, 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 there's a lot in there, John. Um, I, I think you, you're spot on in that like frontline management is, is the key. Absolutely the key because, well, again, you can look at the, the leadership journey, I, I went on a similar leadership journey in that, yep, I was technically good at a role. I was promoted because of that technical ability 
And then all of a sudden, um, my technical skills are pretty much irrelevant. It's all about people skills and, and process skills. So I was a, a horrible team leader, a horrible supervisor um, until I sort of started to do some, some, some training and education around that. That really, you know, forced me to, to look in the mirror. Um, there's a, a lot of um, brutal self-awareness there. And I mean, my, my environment was feeding back and <laughs> that was telling me a lot as well. So, you know, I, I see a lot of frontline leaders going through those struggles every day. Obviously, they, they're, they're the meat and sandwich. They have to translate those strategic goals and objectives down in the, in the day-to-day metrics and they have to deal with what's going on on the front lines and often it's a real struggle they're, they're not very well equipped they don't get the the right support again they don't or rarely have the tools to be able to uh, function well um, and, and and it's tough and I, I spend a lot of my consulting time coaching those types of people to to help them along the way because we can't can't ever get traction um, because they can often, I guess they're that, that bottleneck because we need the, the strategic stuff translating through them um, and they need to understand it. They need to be bought into it and they need to be able to communicate that and we need the bottom-up stuff coming back through. So one, they need the time <laughs> and the ability to, to support in the right way, but they also need to be able to manage up and send those messages back through the organisation. So they are absolutely critical. I think we often uh, neglect those people and set them up for failure. And um, yeah, th- those people sort of churn and burn in those roles because it, it is so difficult. So um, again, I- I've walked in their shoes. I, I feel that pain. Um, and it's very important that we we get that part right. And like you said, there's, there's a lot of, um, I guess there's a lot of information out there in terms of the maybe the, the philosophical side of things, but not necessarily how, you know, what, what's the practical things that I can do to, to actually make a difference here? Um, and I think that's often where we lack. Yeah. Why do you think that like the business environment so, so prevalently has this dearth in leadership skills? Where do you think that comes from? Um, it's an interesting thing. So I, I used to think it was just a, a local thing here, but it's absolutely global. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a million-dollar question, Jay. It, it really is. I, I, I wish I could answer it. I, I, I really don't know because, to me, it's very obvious. Um, I, I just think we undervalue it because, uh, again, we're just focused on getting the job done, and it's simply that. Um, I'm actually going to post on that today. Just we, we, we are so focused on getting to the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, the end of the, the financial year, and it's all just about chasing and up, do whatever we have to do. And I think a lot of organisations just simply use those people as a, as a mechanism to get the job done. They don't understand the importance and the power that, you know, when you look at an organisation that gets it right from that team leader, supervisor, middle manager type level, they have the right focus, they're using things like leader standard work and they're, they're actually focused on the process of improving the process rather than just getting a number uh, or a product or a service delivered, then it's a very different uh, world. But I think most organisations, unfortunately, and again, it's a, it's a global problem, are just chasing numbers. Yeah, I'd say in my experience, like there's two groups I see most leadership roles fall in. I'm talking about 
frontline leadership roles. And that's, you're either the catch-all for every other project and subtask that comes out outside of production and becomes you, or you're just the one that's to blame when it's not perfect. Yeah. And those are the only two positions you get to have. And yeah. I haven't seen that done very well anywhere I've ever been. I have not. Yeah, like, again, there's perhaps even if we're aware of those issues, we, there's, there's talk about it. We maybe give a bit of training and, and whatever else, but there's still not that genuine support or real awareness of, of the difficulty of those roles and, and what we're asking of those people. Well, I have a theory about leadership and why it's hard to find good leadership. To me, it's a bit like baseball, which is to say you can read all of the books you want on how to be a good baseball player. But at the end of the day, you have to get in the batting cage and take pitches and you have to swing at thousands of pitches. And if you're Michael Jordan, you still can't hit a curveball. Um, so in the same way, you can't really learn leadership by reading a book. And I probably have seven or eight on my bookshelf right now because I, I do read them all. I'm interested in what people have to say. But so have all of the terrible leaders I've worked with in my career. Um, simply reading a book doesn't make you a good leader. You have to practice leading, actually leading people. And I think that's one area where we can improve sort of collectively. Absolutely. Uh, and it maybe comes back to the concept of, of vulnerability um, and cultures, which, again, probably sits in line or in parallel with the chasing numbers things, because in chasing numbers, there's generally um, fear in those environments. There's, there's consequences for not, not hitting those targets, hitting those numbers, and, and they're generally not, not good. And I think, you know, good, good leadership requires vulnerability. It, it requires a, a, an openness, a willingness to learn, um, a willingness to seek help or um, say that you don't know or that you can let go of things. And I think, again, people, people even though they, they might read the books or they look at role models of leadership, again, it's hard to put into practice where there is a culture where we, we might talk about those things, but the actions are very different. And, again, there are... You know, um, there's peer pressure, there's, peer, there's pressure from above, all of those sort of things that stop us from, um, you know, being in that open and, and vulnerable space. So I, I think that's, a, that's, that's another thing that certainly sits at play. Uh, I'm, I'm very big on that vulnerability side of things. I'm very big on that um, ownership side of things. But, you know, first we, we need, I guess, self-awareness, that vulnerability um, in order to move forward. Well, if I can just drop a moment of vulnerability and self-awareness. The two people on this call are the reason I went out and got my Six Sigma black belt. So right as I joined LinkedIn in June of last year and started growing it, I connected with Paul so I could work through some technical bits I didn't know. And then John, I actually went to John's house and we spent like a three-hour burst just reviewing all of my documentation and questioning every mathematical calculation I had made and... Uh, it's great that we have all three of us together on a call. That's the, the core of how I got where I am today. So let me just pass on some thank you for that. No, you're, you're welcome, Jake. I loved, you. I loved your enthusiasm when you got in touch. And, um, you know, <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day um, just about, uh, I think it's very important in 
the, the lean community that you, you pass it on and you make time to help and support other people, no matter where you're at in your lean journey. And that's probably something else we, you know, it would be nice to see more of is that, you know, particularly people who are, you know, further down the track of, you know, got a, a lot of experience under their belt, that it needs to be shared and shared openly and, and willingly um, and not asking for something in return. I think that's that's really, really important. Um, and, and again, you know, we're all, you know, none of us came up with this stuff. We're all just the, the, the torch holders. You know, there's nothing original there. We, we're just carrying on the, 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 the work that others have done o- over the years. Um, and we've got a responsibility to, you know, do things in the right way, do it respectfully and um, pass it forward. So I think, I think there's a bit in that for, for some people out there to maybe take that on board. You definitely create lifelong fans that way, let me tell you. And, and I think that's also, you know, part of, you know, certainly my LinkedIn journey is, is giving value. Um, I, you know, <laughs> whatever you take out of whatever I do, um, I, I just want to pass on what I've learned, you know, whether that's day to day or things that I've, I've reflected on. It's really important just to, to give value. Um, probably when clients approach me, I just say, well, you could watch two years worth of LinkedIn videos and get it all for nothing. It's all, it's all there. Um, but I think if I can, again, you know, help people or spark something um, or give them, you know, a, a bit of a, a practical tool or a practical approach to go then and apply that in, in their working life, then, you know, that, that's, that's a great thing. So um, that's what I really love about that side of things. Well, we appreciate it as well. And it's easy to tell, you know, engaging with you that you come from a mindset of plenty and you have a heart to help others. And I think that's what's resonated with uh, Jake and I. Um, Touching back on something you said earlier about vulnerability and how the culture is a large determinant of not just leadership success, but how leadership behaves. Jake and I have been talking about this for some time, um, and I can tell you from personal experience, if my execution as a leader, you know, is on a scale from asshole to angel, right, the needle is closer to here, the more fear and uh, sort of punitive environment I've been a part of. And I've worked for a couple of companies where, um, they were very quick to punish people that didn't sort of get the results they wanted. Um, And I can tell you that I was at my absolute worst in those environments because at some point, you know, the need to pay the bills and protect myself overrides sort of my conscience. And in one of those situations, I had to engineer an exit strategy because I didn't like kind of what it was doing to me as a person. And that's something that we continue to talk about and deal with is utilizing lean tools doesn't fix that kind of problem. But that kind of problem is a much bigger hindrance to operational outcomes and performance than maybe not having 5S to your work area. And I I think that's where, again, lean, um, lean's not going to be the answer to all of your problems. And a lot of my work as a consultant is enabling lean. So there's, there's a lot of work that goes on outside of the pure lean tools and the lean approach to get to a point where we can start to actually practice lean. Um, 
every organization is different, but every organization also has the same sets of problems. You know, I can go into any organization and say, all right, you, you top, probably know what your top 10 problems are. Definitely know what your top three are. And your top three will be around communication. So talk to anyone in the business. I'll say communication is poor. And th look, there's, there's perception and reality in, in all of these things. Um, they'll say that people don't have a voice. There's, there's no engagement. So I'll say we've, we've told them a hundred times, but they never fix it. They never do anything. Again, reality and perception in all of that. The other thing they'll talk about is performance management. So there's two sides to that. So there's no acknowledgement. There's no positive feedback. There's never a thank you or a job well done, anything like that. And it doesn't need to be financial rewards, but just acknowledgement. And the other end is that poor performance, poor behavior is not managed either. And that pisses people off. So those three things will always be at, at play in, in every organization. But coming back to it, again, lean is all people and culture. And when we have certainly fear in the environment, then it is it is a huge problem. And you, you can't practice lean where there is fear going on. And you need to literally suck that out of the environment, however you do it, to start to create a, a safe place for people. Because ultimately, lean is about those conversations that engagement we have day to day with people on the front lines to understand what's happening in the process full stop that's it we, we we need to have those conversations to get those those nuggets out each and every day to start to to improve we need leaders who are prepared to to listen and facilitate and and do something about it um and that's that's where the the magic happens you know um people and maybe I didn't always believe this, but people come to work, 99.99% of people come to work each and every day to do the best job that they can. And if we don't believe that, because again, a lot of companies and senior managers, I'll hear from you know, out of their mouths that they don't believe that. But that's the case. Human beings are, are there with their best endeavours to give their time and to give their effort. And it's the, the systems and the processes and the leaders that inhibit their ability to achieve that. And that's where the frustration starts to come in. That's where we disengage people. That's where we, you know, we always have those, those people who are sceptical and, um, you know, they're, 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 they're very difficult customers to deal with because they've disengaged, because there's this passion there. They want things to be better. They've got lots of skills and experience. However, the, the company, for whatever reason, has, has created an environment that's allowed them to disengage and then we get what we get there. And so I guess coming back to it, I have to tackle all of those things first, really to then enable, you know, lean to move forward. And I think, again, we, we forget that lean is just not the answer in itself. Can we get a thumbnail with Paul's face later that we can put on LinkedIn? Lean that, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure we need that, like, I, I don't know, on a postcard or something, because um, that's interesting to hear given the number of people that believe lean can cure cancer. Um, <laughs> but I thought, I thought a lot of having some advertising postcards where the front says lean won't solve all your problems. And on the back, it's just a mirror, but this can. <laughs> Boom. I like it, Jake. That's good. See, I was going to put Paul on the back and say, but he can. No, oh, there you go. That's, that's a win as well. Hey, so I'm Paul, a capitalist. Yeah. Um, 
So really profound to me, profound thoughts, not just about the simplicity of lean, but also um, as a consultant, if you will, or I use the, the marketing of being a coach, an operational excellence coach, um, meeting people where they are and helping them win, not uh, forcing a system down their throat. Now, having said that, lean or really any process improvement in my experience any type of system won't work without processes to create value. So tell me a little bit about your experience with working with companies that maybe didn't really know what their value creation process was. Um, again, that's, that's pretty much <laughs> every company, if not most companies, um, you know, because you're both smiling. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting when I come along. Like, you you'll see most processes, and you'll be shaking your head, wondering how they even get something done. Like it's this day to day arm wrestle. The job gets done, and they deliver the good or the service. But wow, it's it, it's tough. It's hard to watch sometimes. And you know, part of my my process generally will follow a, a bit of structure at the start. Um, you know, I'll do a bit of an education piece around engaging with people around waste, around basic concepts of PDCA, and then we'll start to, you know, maybe not value stream map a process, but we'll certainly do a process map. And that really starts to get the conversation going. And again, every lean tool, every lean visual tool is something that starts, a, should be something that starts a conversation. That That's the important part. And so where I guess they, they think they have a process and they think their process is working. We have a lot of uh, assumptions in that environment. And I think, yeah, just, just to your point, it, it's really about understanding what, what we think is going on um, in our business end-to-end uh, -end to start with. So that's really, I think, an important conversation to have early on in the piece. Um, you know, when you look at things from a value stream mapping point of view, you, you know, you talk to a process owner and you say, well, how much of your process do you think is, is actually adding value? And they'll be like, oh, 100%. Every, every single thing that we do is adding value for our customer. Okay, let's, let, let's talk about that. And, you know, when it's 5%, um, that's a bit of a, a jaw-dropping moment. And then we can sort of move on from there when they start to see those things. Yeah. So for me, again, it's just about taking them through step-by-step, step, understanding what process they do have, what parts of that process are working and, and where are the gaps, and then starting to, to fill those. So, you, you know, you're exactly right. It's Again, we rely far too heavily on, it's almost like a black market economy. There's almost a, a process that goes on outside of the process. And that's where, I guess, the, the waste and the opportunity lies. It's where a lot of people's time and effort uh, goes in, certainly, uh, again, from that frontline and, and supervisory level as well. You know, it's always the biggest the, the barometer for me where a process is broken is watching what those people do because they're, they're the ones that work outside of the process to get, to get a broken process or no process to work. Yeah, I have had some powerful results myself in leadership roles with just the very basic swim lane where here's my list of folks, here's how it runs through step to step. I've had some powerful results with people just being able to visually see, hey, this is the spot where I create value and I affect this person and I affect that person, the one before and after me. 
and yeah. just getting that on a simple tool. I found that to be much more effective than even a, the complicated value stream map or um, any further any further display for the front line. That, that swim lane is my go-to tool. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jake. I rarely do a technical value stream map. I just, I'll do a map, a swim lane or just a very simple process map is enough to get stuff happening. That's all I'm interested in. I don't need to spend days and days and days on a value stream map that's really not going to tell me anything different to what I can do in a couple of hours with a, a very simple process map and the right people in the room. That will get things moving. Like you say, there's often a lot of gaps. I find that there's a lot of assumption in environments. So, People will sit in that room, they'll be experienced, people have been in the business for years, but they'll still not, they'll have their part of the process, but they probably don't understand or fully understand things that happen up or downstream. And they'll be, oh, I didn't know that happened for that reason, or I didn't know you needed that in that way, or, or whatever it might be. So it's, it's almost just an education piece. And, you know, my job is not, again, I never have the answers. I rarely have the answers. My job's to facilitate that conversation that goes on and ask, you know, hopefully some good questions to open up and, and get the, the, the good stuff out. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really the important part. Again, they're the people who are in that process day to day who touch it and feel it and interact with it. No one knows better than those people. They, they are the experts. They're the subject matter experts our job as, as coaches and lean people is to, you know, shine a torch on it and, and help them get, get the things they need to out of that. Um, you know, I just refer to myself as the tour guide. I don't have the answers. I never will. I'll learn way more from these people than they will from me. Um, and, and we go from there. But ultimately, again, keep it simple, keep it visual, get the conversation going, and then everything else will, will take care of itself. Not too simple. We have a, a self-prescribed graphic designer in the group, so it's not hurt his feelings. <laughs> hey, <laughs> great, uh, great commentary there. I would say the frontline troops are also the process experts. Maybe yes. not in what the process should be, but certainly in what is actually happening. Yeah. Um, Jake mentioned using the, the swim lane as an education tool. Um, well, that has been both for the frontline employees and also for management. In fact, Jake and I worked together on a swim lane project one time that I believe had 32 steps, if I'm not mistaken, Jake. No, that's post-improvement. It started with 47. Started with 47. And there was a specific spot right in the middle where there was zero signal to do work to the next step in the process. This, the process just ended and the next person, different person, different swim lane, just had to guess that there was work ready over here that they had to do something. Um, yeah. And those are, the, those are some of the things that we uncover when we use a tool like that. And the whole team just kind of goes, oh, now I know why I have so much trouble with that, mm. right? And ultimately, again, when we come back to what lean is just an exposure tool. Lean just shines a light on these things that are, for the most part, hidden. Yeah, I try to treat everything like it's Judoka. Can I see the second there's a defect and stop this so we can adjust, iterate, discuss? Okay. Now, John, are we going to lose this Zoom call? Yeah, I think we're going to because I'm a skin flint and I'm not going to 
pay for the upgraded service. And one of the most secret things to tell you about me is... I zoom cut out, and uh, you'll never hear the big secret. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we just take ourselves too far too seriously, and uh, <laughs> we should laugh a lot more. And, and it's been interesting because I think... Um, you know, engaging with with a, a lot of you folk in the in the US, I think you have a you know a much uh, I don't know a, a more relaxed approach uh, relaxed approach to to lean. Um, I think over here the community's uh, a long way behind. I think we're probably a good ten years behind in the way we think about it because we're we're just doing things the same way we're doing in the nineties and. You know, it's it's difficult because I, I come across so many clients who've had at least one one shot at this, if not more, and it's very much that cookie cutter type uh, approach. And you know, they're they're sort of oh, yeah, we're not really sure this doesn't work for us, blah blah blah. And I'm sure you guys have seen the the same thing, but it's just the the same old stuff. You know, you so start with five S and we do this and we do that, and it's it's really difficult to sort of start to, to peel that back and have that more relaxed and, and practical approach. Um, often, uh, I think when you see particularly people who are perhaps having an engineering background or they come out of a, a Toyota or a, a large automotive, that that's all they've seen and that's all they understand. And they, they don't necessarily know what's required to build the culture and the tools from scratch. And I think, you know, when you, if you go back to the, the history of it all, Toyota just made up the tools as they went. You know, they, they had a problem, they developed a tool, they implemented and used a tool and refined it. And it's, it's, I think it's a case of we, we need to be, uh, you know, a, a little more relaxed in our approach and a little more open to just not using the tried, tested and true tools that are, have been there forever and a day. Yes, there are some fundamentals. Yes, we can use that tool, but we can perhaps use it in a, a different way. It doesn't have to be a certain way. So again, there's this dogma that surrounds a, a lot of what we do that um, I find we need to probably let go of and again, have a have a bit more of a, a sense of humor around all of these things, if that all makes sense. Yeah, if one more guy goes, have you heard of Tim Woods? The fee is for transportation. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to like pull my hair out. I can't believe that like we're 50 years into this and it's just, we, we haven't learned how to do anything but parrot other people's ideas. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of where you started with. Don't have a solution. Just go in and start talking to people and they're going to give you the gap and then use them to facilitate the solution of that gap. Like I don't need to have an answer at all in any of that. Yeah, and I think that was probably the biggest learning I had. I'm still learning every day. I'll always learn for the rest of my career. I'll never, I'll never, ever, ever be the expert. Again, the people are the experts. Are the the, the people who work in those processes every day, and and that's it. I don't, I don't know better. I never will. I need to just get the conversation to happen, and and have give them a safe safe place to be. And perhaps teach them some some basic tools and principles, and and away it goes. And that's that's where the good stuff is. That's where the success is. So, have you ran into situations where you have leaders completely resistant to change, and it just makes you want to pull your hair out? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> never. Um, every day, every day, every day. 
And and again, there's different reasons for that. So yes, there's probably a very small minority that will dig their heels in, and it's, you're just never going to get anywhere. Um, you know, we've always done it that way, or you know, that you can see where they shut the door very quickly, and that conversation's done. And ultimately, then it's a question of whether that person belongs in the organisation at all. Um, and again, that's not not what I'm about or not what I'm trying to do, but sometimes people just need to, to get out of the way. Um, I'll always give people an opportunity, but then the, the conversation probably changes. But I think most people, again, whether it comes down to fear, whether it's just down to pure ignorance, and again, I mean that with all due respect, is that... You know, when, when you know better, you you do better. And, and a lot of people might have been in an organisation most of their working lives or for a long period of time. They've never, they've never seen anything different. And they can often be threatened by someone external coming in and saying, hey, we're going to do all this, uh, this lean stuff or, or whatever it might be. And it, you know, it, it's never a case of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's saying, well, actually most of the things that you're currently doing are working. You know, you're here, you're in business, you have customers, you make a good product or service, um, but there, there's, some, there's some opportunity here. Um, the other thing with leaders is that they are generally overwhelmed. Like we talked about before, they are dealing with, you know, cultural issues, process issues. They're, they're working really, really hard to just try and get the job done each day. And I see those people struggling in probably every facet of their life, not only their working life, their their personal life, their their mental health and, and physical well-being suffers because it, it's we, we brutalise them with that constant stress, that constant reactive behaviour and firefighting, and they are trying their best. And it's, you know, again, when we're coming along and we're implementing change, they're already saying, well, we're, we're trying our best. What more can I do? And that's, you know, it's taking them through that journey and, again, um, you know, giving them a safe place and saying, that well, it's okay and we don't expect you to have all of the answers and to be able to fix all of their problems. Those people take a lot on their shoulders um, and it's just starting to, to work through that, again, to, to give them simply time <laughs> to, to stop and reflect and, and begin to work on um, proactive things, um, literally just to, to be able to stop and, and have some space because most of those people simply don't have a choice. It, it, it's like this meat grinder almost that we put them through every day. So, um, yeah, that resistance, again, can come from very different places. Um, but I think once, you know, generally when I start to to break through and they see that I'm, I'm there, legitimately there to help them and support them, um, again, not to tell them how to suck eggs. They know what they're doing. They know their job. They know their people. But here's a way that can give you some time back that can help you stop being so reactive and can ultimately make your, your job easier. And I think that's really what we're trying to do at every level of the organisation is simply give people some time back, let them take a, a breath <laughs> um, and to, to make life much easier. I love the dumb comment so much. It's literally a chapter in my book. Take smart advice from dumb people. And yep. it's, it's a double entendre because not only is it about people who just aren't familiar with the problem, but also if you're reading my book, you're taking advice from me, a dumb guy. 
And it's about a scientist that walks into an ice cream shop and uses his very particular problem and still gets very good advice on it because you don't have to be familiar with the specifics for some people's altering perspective to still move you in that right direction. And valuing yeah. that is critical in the process, more critical than any tool or strategy that W and Tim Woods will ever give you. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just that, that ability to critically think about things. Um, you know, I think a lot of leaders rely far too heavily on, the, on their technical know-how and skill, and I think that impedes them. Um, my, my challenge to them is, well, what would you do if you didn't know? Um, that, that's a whole different ball game. And, and again, we, we need to ensure that we, we always have an open and a curious mind and that we are aware of, of what it is that we don't know. You know, again, whether we've been doing this for 20 years or whether it, it, it's day one, you, you certainly have to have that, uh, again, open mind and awareness and ability just to try things. And I think, again, comes back to the, the fear situation in a culture is that often people are scared to come up with a, a left field idea or, or try something different for, you know, for, again, many different reasons. And I think that's, you know, I talk about the fact that as, as children, we are active learners and, and we're experimenting and we're touching and feeling and trying all sorts of things. And then as we go through our, our schooling and into our, our careers and in our working lives, so we're just shut down. And lean, I think, is about then, you know, deconditioning people and, and reprogramming them. To, this is to be Paul Dunn. This is Paul Dunlop telling you get out and eat a grasshopper every now and then. Yes. And you brought up a really good point about the way that the message is crafted when when dealing with helping people to improve. You're you're succeeding at most of what you're doing, right? Um, but it taps into a challenge that I've faced with culture in general and people in general. And of course it intersects with business culture where people tend to be judgmental and binary. Um, the idea of nuance or a spectrum is largely lost. You know, things are either going good or going bad. And, and of course, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, and I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not, not gonna get too deep into the phenomena, but part of the lean journey at some point, you have to adopt the continuous improvement mindset which says, of course, we're kicking ass. We're amazing, but we're going to be better tomorrow, which is the attitude that you find among uh, elite teams. Uh, maybe Tato Wolf's F1 team, for example, or, um, you know, the Liverpool FC or whatever sport you guys have down in Australia. Um, when you look at these or the Olympics going on right now, when you look at team sports, usually these elite levels are very good, but they don't go back to the locker room after every game or match and say, yep, we did good today. All right. So uh, let's go have a beer. They're watching film. They're critiquing every little detail. I could have done this better. I could have done that better. You know, I had trouble with this. How can I improve that? It's very positive mindset that doesn't fear admitting there's room for improvement. Yeah. I love when it, the sports analogy, when it comes to visual management, like imagine if you played soccer today and the coach's job was once a day, he would walk out and tell you guys what the score was. 
that just doesn't work, you know? If I have a big board that says, am I winning or am I not winning right now, that's going to affect my behavior for the workday. And that, that's what I try to bring when I walk into an operation. Or there's no lines on the field. So you, you're running around trying to kick the soccer ball. And uh, all of a sudden, the ref is blowing his whistle and, you know, gives you a yellow card. How do you cross the line? How dare you? And you're like, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Or there's no defined roles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just you don't win without that structure. I've worked for companies just like that. Before. Yeah, with no lines on the floor. But they'll sure give you a yellow card. I, again, there's a yeah, there's a lot in that. I, I use a lot of sporting elite sport analogies. Um, you know, I, I probably don't really invest much in um, lean publications or lean content these days. It's mainly other stuff. I'm a you know big student of, of leadership and again high performance environments. Whether again it's elite sport, it's special operations or what, what, whatever it might be. There's a lot to be taken out of those mindsets. And I think, again, we probably underestimate what's going on underneath the hood of Lean because it's all of this stuff. We, the, the Lean community is slowly catching on to, to the psych, psychology side of things because I think I, I keep saying Lean is way more psychology than it is mathematics, and, and we need to remember that. Um, but I think, the, like, to use a sporting analogy, well, you know, if it's, I follow a bit of basketball, NBA basketball. I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, if you, if you look at that from a, uh, a lean person or, or a leadership point of view, you're the coach on the sidelines watching the team play. Um, analogy I, I use a lot is, you know, both, both my boys play, play soccer here. And when they first started out, you'd, you'd watch the game and it would be, you know, a, a bunch of six-year-old kids just running around like a, a pack of six-year-olds running around chasing the ball and that's what many businesses to me look like it's just everybody chasing the current most urgent shiny thing to, to get the job done and what what do we see as we go on well we we get structure everybody has clearly defined roles and responsibilities that we we have the scoreboard we have some metrics we we then huddle we get together we talk about you know what's working well what's not what are the opportunities to improve okay go again and apply you know, PDCA, that's, that, that's what we're doing. So I think there's a lot to be just taken out of, out of that mindset. And I think as well, to, to touch on your point, John, it's, I'm just interested in better. Yes, we're chasing perfection, and, but we're not, you know, necessarily going to get to perfection and we have to be mindful of that. But how can we make what we're doing now a little bit better? And it needs to be, you know, I sort of use the, the quote, make it so small that you can't fail. You know, what's, what's the smallest incremental change that you can make? And lean, again, is all about that. So the accumulation of many small steps, many small ideas over time add up to something significant and meaningful. And again, we have to resist those human urges of just looking for that quick fix because it, it just doesn't happen. And again, I see a lot of senior leaders and business owners that just, just I just want this you know, better technology or this this thing that's going to fix things tomorrow. And it, it just doesn't work in, in any walk of life. So we, we have to be prepared for the long game, have to be prepared for, you know, literally a game of inches. And sometimes, you know, on that lean journey, just feels like we're going nowhere. We're, we're spinning our wheels. But 
again, it's it's over time we can look back and then go, wow, you know, all, all of those small things that we did added up to something meaningful. But also because we did it in that way, it, it makes it sustainable. We've, we've built habits. Lean is about building habits. One um, of my favorite all Dunlop Supremes was all you did was cover up the face underneath the table that have, was a catch-all for a bunch of tools and products in the facility. And all you did was cover that up so people couldn't jam stuff under the yeah. Did nothing else but cover that up. And I thought, that is the 1% example. Like, get <laughs> my like we yeah. didn't do anything special. All we did was say, "Stop putting stuff here," and uh, I, I'm sure that paid dividends that, that are well worth it. Yeah, and, and again, you know, it's interesting the commentary around that. Oh, you know, you can't do that. People should be disciplined. Well, that was very early days, and yeah, those people didn't have the mindset. So yeah, that's a, that's not ideal. It's not textbook, but that's what you do. Any, you know, from a 5S point of view, any horizontal surface is going to gather crap. That's just <laughs> human nature in a work environment. So get rid of the, you know, eliminate it. There we go, gone. And you're establishing a mindset through that elimination. So, yes, that, that was a good one. I enjoyed that. Um, but that that's what I do. There's no rocket science day to day. Yeah, that you know? wasn't calculus at all. That was just no. the most pragmatic it, thing we could have done in that environment. I love it. And it never is. Um, and, you know, my most of my working life day today is building the foundation because my, my clients don't come to me when things are going great. They're, they're in the shit. You know, they've got burning platforms. They're in trouble. They need help. And I'm starting with a very low base. So, yeah, it's, it's not going to be sexy or sophisticated. We'll get there after three years or so. But the first couple of years is, is hard grunt work doing that sort of stuff. It's, it's agricultural um, and it is what it is, but that's, that's what it takes. And again, that's probably speaking to perhaps some of the naivety is that, yeah, we're, we're not going to be doing all those nice, nice shiny tools. We're going to be just doing basic stuff to get people moving and to start to, to get stability. Again, you come back to the house of Toyota, what's on the bottom? Stability. You have to get stability in your process. Yeah. Last week, actually, I was on a podcast with the learnings and missteps and the title of it was Lean Ain't Sexy. And I made the ugliest face and they took it for a thumbnail uh, for the podcast. <laughs> like, there is nothing about this that is pretty and polished. And you're not going to wear a tie and get out there and do it. One of the other, uh, if, I, if I can just fanboy. I was wondering where he had gotten your uh, yearbook photo from. <laughs> <laughs> If I can fanboy for a little bit, one of my other favorite Paul Dunlop Supremes was you had color-coded, you and the team, not you, uh, had color-coded some flat materials. I forget what they were. It could be cardboard or wood. Who gives a shit? But they were color-coded by size in a, some vertical sliding. And then you immediately yeah. went back against it and said, uh, we got to not be afraid to iterate. The team had some different ideas we want to do, and we're going right back over this and doing it a totally different way. And I yeah. thought that was another powerful spot was we just did it. We had good results out of an experiment. But that's not going to stop us from continuing to iterate. And that was a moving one for me. Uh, yeah. And, and that was a good one. And I like, they spent a lot of time and effort doing that, but I, I, I gave them the room to, to do it. It's okay. Here's the problem. That, so that they, they were pressing um, laminated structural beams for, um, for housing and construction projects. 
And so they would spend so much time looking for, you know, an appropriate piece of, because these were just backing blocks to, to pack out the press. And so they spent so much time and effort. So we, we, we measured it. We saw what the, the you know, the, the waste was. Okay, guys, what's, what's a, a way we can improve this situation? So, oh, yeah, we, we need to identify them. So we, you know, we started with just the, just the number, just the size, and then, oh, maybe we should color code them so it's easier to see. It's more visual. And then we went through that. So I just let them do that. And then, okay, they went that. They, they, they got the gain, but, okay, all right, what's, what's the next part? So the next part was, well, we can build this into the press. We can make this easier. So, you know, again, it's just that do a bit, learn from that experience, get the benefits. Okay, how can we take this the next step? And I think, again, we, we, we just coming back to that incremental small steps, it's that we, we spend far too much time. And I think we, we, we look at the top of the mountain and we think, oh, wow, that's, that's a long way off. And that just paralyzes people. If we just, again, just look at putting one foot in front of the other, what's the next step? And again, just give, give things room to breathe. Let people have that learning, let them do it themselves because that's that's how I learned that's how you guys learned it's how we all learn by practice you know coming back to the the Carter methodology it's practice we're just doing this stuff over and over and over again and through the practice that's where the the learning happens well Paul hard to believe it's been an hour already what a fantastic oh no we will definitely need a sequel um for now why don't you tell folks how they can get a hold of you? Yes. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the, the very best way. Um, if you message, as you guys know, I will get back to you. I'll certainly make time. So, yeah, link, LinkedIn, you can engage with me there. Um, also, check out my website, so dunlopconsultants.com.au, so you can see a bit more about um, what I do. Um, yeah, reach out. Awesome consulting presence in not Queensland, but it could be if you pay enough, right? It, it, it could be. I, I would get to see the sun now and again, which which would be nice. Yeah. Well, you know, the Australia just struggles from being the one country that's also a continent. Now, yes. most Westerners think Africa is a country and a continent, but that's not true. But Australia actually is. So you guys have a quite a bit of um, climate difference throughout your continent. And we maybe think it's as small as the picture on the map, and it's not. All I know about Australia is that it's purple on a game of risk. <laughs> you have that board game, and it's really good because it can only be attacked from China. So outside of that, you're in a good spot. That's all I know. That's, that's I've, 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 play, I've played a lot of risk, Jake. Do you take Australia? <laughs> no, I'm not interested. <laughs> also, um, it's also bigger than Texas, if I recall correctly. So it's close. It's close. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you for joining. For everybody out there in YouTube land, thank you so much for joining us on a quality podcast. Don't forget to visit Paul Dunlop at dunlopconsulting.com.au as well as on LinkedIn. If you need his services, be sure to send him a DM. Paul, thank you for joining us. Goodbye, everybody. She made me nervous. She took me in and gave me breakfast And she said Do you come from a land down under?